0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Growing Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Cruz, and today with uh, today with me, I have a very special guest, Mr. Kyle Mendez, and I'm just going to let him introduce himself because he'd probably do a lot better job than I would.
1: Thank you. I'm um, excited to be doing this. Uh, so uh, I work at the University of Florida. I am the current meat judging coach here. I help oversee the livestock judging team, as well as uh, I coordinate our intro labs and uh, help with a few other classes here and uh, just... Uh, enjoy my role teaching, working with youth extension, and uh, coaching different judging teams.
0: Really cool, really cool. Um, so you kind of touched about how you work here at the University of Florida. Can you just give us a little bit of background of where you came from? Like, How did like agriculture start in your life? And how did you end up here at the University of Florida?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I actually grew up completely on the opposite coast. Uh, grew up in California. Uh, we raised uh, uh, cattle, swine and sheep out there, uh, had a couple horses as well, but I really had my passion in the swine industry. Um, we raised about 20 to 25 sows at any one time, uh, mostly show pigs out there, that's kind of how I got my start. Um, really growing up, I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, growing up on the farm, I didn't find my passion for agriculture until I actually got into high school and it was the FFA that kind of really sparked that interest in me and uh, I, so I'm very thankful for all of that. And, when I went to college uh, I went there to judge livestock I went to Modesto Junior College and uh, as I progressed through the system there um, I was always kind of drawn to the meat side and I was always curious what was going on um, you know because I had a pretty extensive knowledge up to the point but uh, when i transferred to Fresno State I actually had the opportunity to go and work in the meat lab there uh, and that led to me joining the meat judging team and it's kind of led down this path and uh, Eventually, I ended up with a phone call from Dr. Chad Carr here at the University of Florida, saying, "Hey, we need somebody to come judge a meat team." And well, when Dr. Carr gets on the phone, you just don't tell him no. So, uh, led me coming out here to Florida. I've enjoyed it ever since. I've been here for about four and a half years, and I've enjoyed about every moment of it.
0: Well, that's really awesome. Um, so, you kind of touched on in your introduction how you help in in that spiel right there, how you work with the meat judging team and you work with the livestock judging team. For someone who might not know what you do in meat judging or livestock judging, can you just kind of explain what exactly you're doing?
1: Absolutely, get that question all the time. Uh, Livestock judging is usually a little easier for people to wrap their head around. Uh, They can relate it to the county fair that maybe they've been to or uh, had friends or family members uh, compete at. Um, So essentially we're trying to select those animals that have the best traits uh, that we think uh, are ones that are more ideal that we would kind of want to replicate in that regard. Um, from the meat side, I always explain it. Uh, usually I reference uh, the prime choice and select and everyone goes, okay, okay, I got it. Um, so when we kind of explain it that way, they go, okay, and then I usually explain somebody has to determine what that is. and so. We train a lot of students in that regard. We help with decision-making processes and whatnot. Um, but what it really boils down to is there's essentially four cuts of meat on the table, and you have to tell us what's going to be the best one to eat, um, and what's one's going to be have the least amount of waste. Um, so really, when we talk about that, we'll, you know, that cut that's on the table, we want the one that's going to have the highest quality eating experience, while having the least amount of fat and bone that we not going to really consume. So uh, when we think about it with that regard, it's uh, it's kind of a unique experience. It's definitely one of those things that not everybody gets to do. I always um, tell my students a unique uh, kind of group of students that do meat judging. You're forever part of that family because nobody nobody really understands yeah. it until you've been in the cooler for 14 hours uh, looking at meat and doing different things like that. But it's uh, it's one of those things that's I've really enjoyed and it's helped um, kind of catapult my life in a different direction and really reach new heights that I didn't think I could probably achieve without me judging.
0: To go back to when you were talking about how FFA really sparked your interest in agriculture, how involved were you in FFA? Like, what were some of your favorite contests? How is it, you kind of get a glimpse of it here with the Florida FFA, how is the California FFA different from the Florida FFA? What was your overall FFA experience like?
1: So absolutely, um, like I mentioned FFA is just a huge part of my life. Uh, my father was an ag advisor um, growing up uh, before he went to the junior college and began teaching ag there. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, I always tell everybody it's in my blood. Um, I was a uh, regional officer out there, chapter officer, did, did everything, uh, both my brothers were state FFA officers, uh, good family friends, even national FFA officers. So. Um, it it's all around me, and definitely something that I, I'm very passionate about. Probably my favorite part of uh, FFA and being involved in that um, was probably those CDE contests we talked about. Livestock judging. Um, believe it or not, I was a super shy kid. I could not, definitely couldn't do this before. Uh, definitely couldn't talk to anybody. But uh, that kind of opened my eyes. Um, gave me confidence in myself because that was something I really lacked. And I think a lot of people can relate to that FFA experience of gaining confidence, figuring out who you are, and um, being able to move forward with that. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the FFA for all that. Um, I mean, Parley Pro, Creed, extemporaneous public speaking, um, all those different contests as well as the, those raising livestock and being involved in the classroom, I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, the FFA is such an awesome organization. It's, it's tough to, it's tough to quantify all the stuff that they do.
0: Mm-hmm. And to kind of continue on FFA, this past state convention, you were honored with honorary membership. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, what was that like? Going from being an FFA member, your dad being an advisor, to reaching such a high, so something so honorable in the FFA as an honorary member of the Florida FFA. What was that like? When you found out, what did you think?
1: Uh, Certainly, um, that was, I mean, I kind of get goosebumps and swell up with pride even now because like I said, FFA meant a heck of a lot to me. Um, So for them to have other people that say, hey, you've made an impact and helped other kids, it it definitely is one of those things that it kind of makes you puff your chest out a little bit and feel real proud and uh, real happy and actually, I found out. cause I wasn't checking my email right at the time I was teaching a lab and I got two or three text messages that said like, congrats, congrats. <laughs> and I didn't know what they're congratulating me for. And I mean, cause there's so many people that definitely are deserving of that honor to be, to be selected. And I mean, be recognized for that. It's something that I definitely, um, one of those things I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And, uh, definitely Florida has become part of me as well mm. as California. I mean, both, FFA organizations are some of the best in the country, and, um, you know, going to those FFA conventions, it just gives you goosebumps every time you walk through the door.
0: Mm -hmm. And most definitely with the convention, it's just amazing. I I still, as a student, every time I go, it's the best week of my life, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You kind of go back to your work with UF. So UF, you know, they always talk about doing the gator good or the greater good for the world. And something that's happening big in the swine industry right now is the Japanese swine, is it the Chinese swine fever? Uh, African swine fever. African swine fever. So now we talk about how UF is big into research and all that. How has UF kind of touched on that topic or researched on other Mm -hmm. uh, major diseases to help prevent them from coming to the States?
1: Absolutely. so you referenced, uh, definitely, you said China as well. That's, it's huge in China right now. Um, wiped out a lot of their sow population. It's something that um, we are very aware of and we are definitely something that we're trying to monitor. One of the um, challenging parts, not to get too scientific, um, we talk about making vaccines and we're, we're so advanced and we've, uh, it's so hard to make a vaccine for African swine fever because of its unique structure. Um, So in order to do that, there's a ton of super qualified people that are definitely (laughs) uh, way more qualified than me in terms of uh, building vaccines and working on stuff like that. Uh, From a grassroots kind of level, it's about getting education out there to um, not only our producers, but to what I would say just the general public. Um, It might be anything from different people that are working in customs, making sure they know what to look through, um, things coming into this country. Um, that we can monitor um, because that's one of the things we're concerned with whether it's coming in through maybe feed or a different agricultural product or different things like that. It's something we really want to monitor and check and make sure we're doing everything the, the right way um, because that's something that uh, you never know uh, what's going to happen but just emphasizing with producers biosecurity, making sure they're using all the proper protocols um, and if they see something to alert somebody, because it's it's about uh, as much as it is trying to get ahead of this, we're preparing to, if, if we're not able to do that as well, how do we manage that? Um, so there are some excellent researchers here that are doing a lot of different things in terms of uh, just trying to continue that process of working on it. They're partnering with other universities and different things like that, but from a grassroots level, that's one thing that FFA members and different people can definitely educate themselves on and just making sure that we use proper biosecurity when we're walking from farm to farm or if we're using um, just, especially at those livestock shows, we're taking those opportunities to educate the public as well on why it's important when you go through customs that you can't take your pork sausage that you brought with you, okay? Um, it, it sounds silly, but those are the kind of things that actually go a long way.
0: hmm so now we talked all this hubbubaloo about the African swine fever, um, but we kind of didn't really talk about what it was. So can mm-hmm. you give like absolutely. basic...
1: Absolutely. Like- um, so African swine fever is something that does not affect humans. Um, that's the first thing that we want to emphasize, and I should have emphasized from the beginning. It does not affect humans. So whether uh, a pig has it or um, you were even to eat meat from a pig that would have it, uh, you'd be absolutely fine. It, mm-hmm. There's no... Um, no translation to humans whatsoever. Want to emphasize that 100%. Um, but is a common. Uh, it is uh, is a virus that has been in the swine population, and basically, the reason we are so concerned with it um, is because it is so difficult to treat. It's difficult to get ahead of, and it has a high morbidity and mortality rate, meaning that there's a lot of sickness and death that can come with this. Um, so being able to manage that um, on a thousand-foot level between our domesticated swine populations and our feral swine populations because this presents very much just like a um, a very common illness Um, so making sure that we're kind of managing that is is really important um, just because we want to make sure our, uh, our swine swine population stays strong in the United States Um, we still have opportunities to show and do different things with the FFA and if we do have stuff like that come come through like African swine fever or different things like that it's going to put a big halt in uh, doing those things that we love to do
0: very very interesting sorry I'm like yeah yeah absolutely and that's the one
1: thing I've sat through probably so many of these different meetings Mm -hmm. about African swine fever and uh, a lot of it now is gotten repetitive to where we are we are all on the same page, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's a, almost a really good thing that we've gotten yeah. that repetitive because um, we need to have that unifying message that the, first and foremost, this is not something that will affect humans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no translation there, uh, but important that we, man- we We are emphasizing biosecurity, and I think this is a good a good time to make sure we're using our best practices. We're using those things that we have scientifically researched to show that prevent disease spreading, that manage um, the health of those swine populations because as good stewards of livestock, we always want them to be as healthy as possible.
0: See, one of the biggest like challenges I found with doing this is you always have to be really quick on your feet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, so like when you're talking about that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm listening, and then I'm like, well, how am I going to transition <laughs> to the next question? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so... Okay, so we talked about that. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about your show pig side because mm-hmm. you are very involved in that. Yeah. You actually helped me find my breeder. I don't oh, know yeah. if you remember that or not. Because um, my mom came and talked to you. We were at the live, the that we you guys had the pig showmanship clinic yeah, like yeah, two the, years ago. We're doing it again this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And mom, mom asked you about breeders, and she you she you sent us to Clayton Lyons. Mm-hmm. And so we've been using him since. My sophomore year, and I'm a senior now, so three years. All right, awesome. Um, awesome. so kind of tell us a little bit about how you're involved, like in the show pig industry, and to like someone's like, show pigs, what is that?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so my involvement there is uh, it's kind of a passion for, for me, um, raising show pigs, it's my way to stay involved and do that. Um, so I'm uh, I have my styles are up in Mclinney Florida, we have about 70 styles CK2 show pigs um, up there. And it's, it's one of those things that has kind of grown exponentially more than I ever thought. If you had told me I would have owned one sow in Florida, I'd probably call you crazy, especially <laughs> before I ever got here. You know what I mean? Never in a million years when, mm-hmm. I, was, when I was a high school senior or at junior college would I have ever thought, or even at Fresno State, would I have ever thought that I'd be in Florida having 70 sows, coaching, judging, uh, um, doing meat judging. But um, So what show pigs kind of, for those of us that maybe don't know, um, show pigs really encompasses uh, those those animals that are kind of selected for the phenotypical traits um, that are almost a little bit prettier, mm-hmm. if you would, um, and what that does is that allows um, those pigs to go to the fair and hopefully do really well when they compete um, and those kids can kind of garner prizes and awards for their ability to select for the best uh, genetics as well as their ability to feed these pigs um, and maximize their genetics through nutrition um, and it really helps to embody that third circle of the FFA the SAE project um, I may be old now are we still calling it SAEs is it yeah, still supervised so yeah. okay I know they keep changing things mm-hmm. I know FFA now is uh, just a national fair organization I try and keep up <laughs> but, I, but, I, um, but the supervised agriculture <laughs> experiences where those students get those hands-on experience. They learn how to manage their money. They learn how to stay involved um, with those projects and manage them and manage health and encompass science-based approaches to raising livestock and animal welfare um, approaches to making sure that their their livestock receive the best care. And um, I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. Um, I'm very fortunate that people come and buy our pigs and support our business and we do our best to support them back because it's a... Uh, I mean, it's one of those things I love to do, and we mm-hmm. couldn't do it without uh, the people that come and buy pigs from us. That's for darn sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So now, like, do you see raising show pigs as kind of like a long-term goal, mm-hmm. or like it, do you or do you, you kind of just see it as like a hobby while you also work here? So yeah, um, I love the
1: idea of raising show pigs. Um, for me personally, it's always going to be a hobby. It mm-hmm. won't be my um, primary job by any means. Um, well, then again, I probably would tell you that I would never <laughs> yeah. end up in Florida coaching meat judging teams as my primary source of income either. But uh, it thing as things kind of grow and evolve, I guess, um, you know, it's always something that I'm going to do and be involved with. And to what level, we'll kind of see what happens. In the immediate future, I, I see myself, uh, um, you know, raising these sows in Florida and continue trying to raise show pigs as a hobby. Um but really, I mean, it's a passion. It's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But it's so much more. Than, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible uh, hobby in that regard because <laughs> it takes up all of your time. Uh, but it's also some of the best hobbies because we get to meet awesome young people like yourself and be a part of their lives and do that do that aspect of it. So I I'm really I'm really thankful to, like I said, be able to work with people like that.
0: Now, are you? You're not a doctor, Candy, are
1: you? Uh, I now you're gonna you're gonna get me in trouble here oh, okay I'm not, I'm not working I know I'm just teasing uh, I, I am working towards my doctorate um, okay. it is uh, probably going slower than I'd ideally right, want right. but uh, yeah one day I, I believe I would like to be a doctor me meat science here and uh, it's one of those things that's definitely on the in in the horizon here mm-hmm. I've been working on um, but with between jobs and different things yeah. uh, things don't always go yeah. quite as fast as you want but yeah um, We'll certainly, especially uh, my better half of my fiance, she'd like to go faster, but yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep working on it. We'll keep working on it.
0: So we've been talking about, you, you said it, meat science. So like when someone thinks about, like I have a t-shirt that says meat science, you have meat mm-hmm. science on, and I wear it to school sometimes. And I get weird looks and like meat science, what does that mean? So like, can you kind of give us the basic idea of the science of meat? Like, okay. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so Absolutely. Meat science is one of those unique aspects and it's so broad and encompassing because so many aspects go into that final product from the live production of livestock um, to what we talk about is the conversion of muscle to meat um, and then the process that uh, what we call it referred to as further processing and as well as food safety. So there's a lot of models and different things that fit into meat science um, and it's kind of one of those things where you get to carve out your own niche where you enjoy it, um, things you, di- you get to do. So it might be um, figuring out different ingredients that you're gonna add to make the best tasting sausage in the world. It might be um, figuring out how we can feed cattle in order to produce a higher quality product. It might be something where we figure out a new way to ensure that the food is as safe and wholesome as it's ever been, because um, we already enjoy the safest, most wholesome food supply, mm-hmm. but there's a large group of people that work every single day, both to ensure this and to make it better, and that's one of the coolest things about our country is that we can pick up food off the shelf and just eat it and not mm-hmm. be worried, um, and, the, and a lot of people that haven't traveled outside the country don't understand and appreciate um, all that we have in that regard. Um, so, I mean, just from all these different aspects, that's kind of how we attack meat science. And a lot of our different professors have different areas of expertise. And uh, we kind of all come together under this umbrella of meat science and its food safety, its live production. Um, it might be some further processing of, you know, making the best hot dog or hamburger in the world. Um, but they all come together to reduce that high quality, wholesome product.
0: So I don't know if you saw, but, like, a couple of months ago, Sports Illustrated came out with this article about collegiate meat judging. Yep. And, like, they focused specifically on Texas Tech and their mm-hmm. meat judging program. Um, for someone who's involved in collegiate meat judging, when you saw that, what, what did that mean to you? And, like, how did that make you feel?
1: Oh, it's phenomenal. Um, me and Dr. Carr were just talking about how it was actually uh, – one of the, the in the last year it's been meat judging has been highlighted uh they actually philadelphia Inquirer just ran an article about again texas tech and the university of florida um we had a great day at this last eastern national contest and we won a bunch of awards so they they highlighted us and they highlighted tech and it was one of those really cool things um, as the the sports illustrated article came out i'm a big sports fan mm-hmm. i love sports i've always thought about you know like um you know since i was a little kid You know in the backyard five four three two one makes the game winning shot (laughs) i thought about signing that letter of intent to go play for you know school and to have that meat judging be highlighted in sports illustrated is might be one of the coolest things Mm -hmm. i think there is Um, definitely you have to have respect for texas tech and their program and everything they built over there Um, it's one of those things every every year we get better and better here and we get closer and closer and we're knocking on the door. Hopefully this will be the year that maybe mm-hmm. we uh, knock them off and get to beat them this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's always fun to compete with a, a powerhouse like them and uh, to kind of be what I like to refer to as the, you know, the plucky upstart underdogs <laughs> over here. Uh, we're the mighty ducks but it's every year we keep getting better and better and maybe we're not the underdogs anymore. <laughs> uh, we keep finishing so high everyone tells me we're not I guess but uh, uh, I enjoy I enjoyed competing against that, and have Sports Illustrated do it. This is literally like, just a dream come <laughs> true over here. We're gonna. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was. When that came out, I thought that was about the coolest thing in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. And in the article, they kind of touch about like how the whole process works, where. Now you only have one year of eligibility, mm-hmm. so yeah. and then there's I can't remember. There's like there's a there's a lot of contests yeah. that happen so, throughout the year.
1: So yeah, there's multiple different contests and it all accumulates there at what we refer to as the international. And sure. the international, um, that's kind of where we have our final contest and we name a national champion for the year. Um, and so you do you only get one year of eligibility, which is different from college sports where you get four or five or, you know, if you redshirt transfer Mm -hmm. and do a bunch of stuff and graduate transfer, you might get six or seven, I think. I think there's a, I was listening, I think there's a guy from Texas who played Oklahoma seven different times. (laughs) I was like, how is that guy not graduated (laughs) yet? But good for him. Um, Mm. So we get one year. So it's really kind of awesome and really cool at the same time because those kids get to pour their whole heart and soul into one year of judging and then they get to prepare themselves for their careers after that. Um, So it gives them the experience um, without probably uh, detracting from their education. Um, And that's one of the things that I really appreciate and admire, um, those that put some forethought into me judging. The one year of eligibility can be frustrating for a lot of the kids Mm -hmm. because by the time they're done, they're like, man, I'm just getting started. I'm ready to do it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you can coach. And they're like, but I want one more contest. (laughs) So that's how it goes. And. It, you you take the good with the bad, but it's awesome. It's just an awesome kind of uh, progression as the kids go through the six or seven contests that they compete in and they culminate in that um, international here. And here I think um, I believe it's November 11th we'll be competing for that and hopefully uh, bring home some hardware to Florida.
0: And so there's, there's a lot of people on the meat judging team, right? There's like a good yeah. handful. <laughs> and then you can only take – Four? Yep, yep, Four. So, so yes. and then do those four have to compete in every single contest or can you change it out?
1: Yeah, so you get to change uh, before every contest, uh, the coach will determine which four of their team members are going to be mm-hmm. on what we call the marking team or the te- or the four scores that will count towards your overall team yeah. score. Um, and it usually changes contest to contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now we have seven amazing individuals on this year's team. In years past, we've had as many as 20. So mm-hmm. to pick out four kids is like, just it's absolutely terrifying and challenging and I always tell the kids that uh uh, absolutely I want to I want to make you make this decision as hard as possible for me you compete Mm -hmm. and it's and then when they get there it's absolutely terrifying because you don't want to make the wrong decision Mm -hmm. you want to pick the right kids and they all deserve it because they're phenomenal kids but uh, that's one of the big parts and the most interesting parts you know uh, you almost have to pick your four starters and you run with them for that day and it's as you're doing that, if you as a coach, if you make a wrong decision, there's been times where the, the teams have had maybe the ten best kids in the contest, the ten highest scores, and they don't actually win the contest because mm-hmm. they don't pick the 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 other four that they chose yeah. to mark weren't the best in the top mm-hmm. ten, and it's so it is challenging, mm-hmm. and but that's part of the thing that makes it fun, I guess.
0: So, you also work for the livestock judging team, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. How is that kind of similar to the collegiate meat judging or different in the aspect? Because I really don't know a whole lot about the livestock yeah. judging aspect, so could you tell us a little bit yeah. about that?
1: Yeah, so um, I don't work directly with our livestock team. I have in the past. Currently, a uh, gentleman, Clay Roland, is, is overseeing that, and he's doing a phenomenal job and keep trying to build the livestock judging culture here, and Dr. Carr helps oversee both teams. Um, and so working between the two... Um, the livestock contest, uh, you give a set of oral reasons rather than written reasons that you would do for meats, um, and that's for those people that don't understand what reasons are. It's basically we defend why we liked one la- one animal better than the other. Mm-hmm. So you basically say, well, number one is uh, it has a little more muscle, so I like that. Uh, number two is a little prettier, so I like that. So you get really get to defend those reasons and figure out. Um, why you place things the way you did. Um, Within the livestock contest, it's very much based. You encompass all four species of cattle, sheep, goats, and swine. Um, At most contests, there are a few that still judge horses as a part of their component. Um, And then you give um, reasons on that. And that world of competitive livestock judging has evolved to a crazy level. Mm -hmm. And it's it's super amazing to see how far they've come. Um, within the livestock judging world, um, from when my dad was a livestock, collegiate livestock judging coach, Um, so very similar, a lot of the things that we talk about where we help kids to learn to make decisions, defend those decisions, um, because so much uh, as I've hired people and, you know, I've managed our swine barn and different things, managed meat labs at Fresno State, and I'd ask employees, well, why did you do that? And, um, being able to actively describe your thought process is one of those things that is just so underrated mm-hmm. sometimes, because um, usually the thought process is actually pretty good. It's just figuring out why we did things sometimes mm-hmm. uh, that really helps being a part of these judging teams. All
0: right. So we'll do about four more questions. Right. So I'm trying it's to think 20. of some really four forget- <laughs> Um. So one that, was, that came to mind when you were talking about that um, was we all, you, you've been talking about how your, your passion is in animal science and in mm-hmm. meat science. And one of the big things that FFA pushes is, you know, finding your passion. And this year's theme is infinite. And they talk about how there's infinite opportunities and everyone has an infinite, um, um, there's an infinite amount of passions that you can find and you just have to find yours. So what is something like you'd say to, not just an FFA member, but a person trying to find their passion, whether it be in agriculture or not?
1: Um, The biggest thing I'd probably say is be open. Don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to say yes. Um, Too often, um, you know, we say can't, I won't. um, It's not for me. Um, I remember really, uh, I always reference this back to the meats industry as a general idea, Very few people go into college or go into life saying, you know, I'm going to be a meat scientist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very few people. You know, I don't know many small children that say, you know, firefighter, cop, meat Meat scientist. scientist. (laughs) Um, So being open to things, uh, we always kind of joke that how would you get into meat science? Well, we all fall backwards into it um, because you don't realize that this is where your passion lies. You don't understand that until you actually get into it. Um, So being open being willing to say yes to, to a new challenge um, is actually one of the things that I'd probably say, you know, is how I found my passion, is just being open to do things.
0: Um, what was probably one of your favorite FFA moments or memories from when you were a member?
1: From when I was a member? Um, well, there's there's gotta be a ton of them. Um, I mean, I gotta pick one, or can I? Can I get, no, you, okay, you don't have okay, to. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm just teasing. Um, you know, some of those ones. Uh, when I think back to uh, my my older and younger brothers being recognized as state of A officers, um, those are definitely ones that are up there as high as any. Um, I've truly enjoyed um, when I had the chance to uh, actually beat my older brother in livestock judging, <laughs> the Modesto Junior College contest that are my father put on and it still sticks in its craw today. It's the only contest you didn't win that year, senior year, and I got to beat him, so that that's that's pretty good too. Um, but really, um, probably as much as anything, um, you know, being my chapter president to kind of take it back to home was, you know, you do all this stuff above and beyond the chapter level, but that chapter is still your home, it's your hometown, it's where you grew up. There's, there's so much, uh, I guess, passion and just being having that opportunity to be the chapter president and represent your chapter in your hometown—that's I, I that's as much as anything. As I reflect back, probably to the things I enjoyed the most.
0: All right. Um, a lot of the discussion, and like a, when I've been talking to my friends, and like when I put polls out about what they want to hear. Um, someone said, "We." I, I'm interested in like what people think about agriculture education beyond just high school and middle school, but also. In elementary schools as well. How do you think, or do you think, that agriculture is something that needs to be pushed more down into our elementary school curriculum? Uh,
1: I think that obviously we have a lot of stuff that we're trying to teach children mm. nowadays. We live in a new and complex world um, that's, you know, as advanced and evolving as it's ever been. But with that, I think staying true to our roots in agriculture and understanding where food comes from is. Is a crucial part of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Knowing um, both my future mother in law and my mother are both uh, elementary school teachers, I know how much they've incorporated in their curriculum and how it's really helped their students as well. Um, But it's one of those things that's very challenging because I know our teachers are very taxed with already the the other areas. So I think there's a lot of opportunities. for I think FFA members who are older to put on uh, FFA field days yeah. and ag days at mm-hmm. the college or at the elementary schools. And it kind of gets overlooked sometimes. And I know I can get complacent just like anybody else because um, letting somebody hold a chick or a, or a baby pig um, to us might seem remedial, but mm-hmm. to them it's something that now they have the connection with their yeah. food, with their agriculture. Um, and that's one of those things where – Um, As I think about those accomplishments that my mom's had and what she's done there, those are as much as anything. um, Those ag days that she's put on at her school, those kids will reference back to that and say, I learned that there and have a better understanding of why their food is safe and wholesome. All
0: right, and then the final one. um, Oh, crap. Oh, all right. What is your go-to Publix sub? Oh. Oh buffalo chicken tender sub there's not a doubt in the world with what on it uh
1: okay i don't like okay i appreciate all farmers i don't like the green stuff now <laughs> um i am i i'm a fat kid through and through here um when it comes to it you get me a buffalo chicken tender sub i like those uh, garlic pickles mm-hmm. and some black olives a little salt and pepper oil and vinegar and i i'm very happy man i actually had it yesterday and i was I was in heaven. I was in heaven. You got
0: any cheese on it or no? Oh, a little
1: pepper jack cheese.
0: Pepper jack. Pepper jack. Toasted or no? Of course,
1: of course. Right. That's that's the go-to right there. That's the go-to. You Gotta love it.
0: All right, well, Kyle, I really appreciate you coming on and um, telling us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about the part of the industry that you represent. Um, I know I found it very informative. I didn't find like I walked, I'm going to walk out of this room knowing a lot more than I did walking in. Um, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, guys, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed this and I can't wait to make another episode for you guys. Peace. Thank
1: you.